Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my co-host and my friend and fellow church member, Ross Ferguson, academic advisor, not to the stars, I don't think. You mentioned once it could have been a star, but we don't think it's a star you advise. All our students are stars. All of our stars. All of our students are stars. All of our stars are students. Yeah, that's right. No, all our students, we love you Stars and garters. Yeah. How you been, brother? Yeah, really good, really good. Um, One of the things that I am so glad that is different in our life right now is our kids have been learning the piano. A piano teacher has been teaching them through Christmas songs. They did a Christmas recital. That was great. I am so glad they're onto new songs because we spent like three months <laughs> hearing the same, same five, yeah. <laughs> same Christmas songs. And I got to the point where I was like, I, I, I don't think I can listen to another one of these. January came, they were kind of still kind of getting tinkering used to around, okay. tinkering around with it. I'm just glad that we've moved on. I actually said to said piano teacher, please, no more songs. <laughs> like just keep teaching them, That's good. but none of these songs. So I, I feel like my life is better. They did great in the recital. I'm not, I'm not kind of showing throwing shade on them or anything like that. They did great. I just, I can't do it anymore. I just couldn't listen to the same song repeated. Over and over. Yeah. yeah. It's a kind of like a water torture sort of experience. Well, we, we were joking. Didn't they do in Guantanamo. They play the same <laughs> well, songs over We were over. joking because uh, uh, one of our neighbors, we could hear them at, I think it was like 10, 30 at night or something like that. We heard a noise and I was just like, oh, it's quite late for somebody to, to be up. I was like, actually, no comment because my kids start to do piano practice at seven in the morning and they don't like it quiet. So uh, I feel bad for our neighbors because they hear some plinky plonk for about an hour and a half every morning. Um, I love my kids. I love their learning piano, but wow, a set of headphones would go a long way. Um, Man, speaking of headphones, I noticed the difference. So the last few guest episodes I've done, we have every other week, we've got somebody who's written a book or just an expert in their field or a leader in their field. I've done those from home, from my home office, and I have a microphone and I have headphones, but this setup, this studio, because we do the episodes here in the Midwestern studio in the Spurgeon Library, it sounds so much, I mean, this is a professional studio, and I'm always struck by how good our voices sound (laughs) in the headphones coming through these mics. I mean, it's like butter. It's like night and day. <laughs> I feel bad for anybody listening to those guest episodes that you've got my janky Best Buy so, $20 microphone. So I think it's more about my accent. I've got oh, that, is that what you think it is? I'm just going to bring it straight in there. No, it's the tinniness. And when you do things through your own computers and things at home, you tend yeah. to have a slightly higher pitched tinniness, where if you're in a studio, it tends to be a bit lower and a bit more crisp and smooth. Why are we talking about this? I don't, I don't know. know. Well, you brought up headphones. I just maybe I just noticed this when we, when we sat down. Before we even started recording... My voice and the mic come into the headphones. I'm like, it just sounds so much better than it does at home. My, my wife would sing a song to you right now, and it involves the phrase, you're so vain. Um, well, I'm saying both of us. <laughs> okay. Give me a break. No, okay. I'm just, I, I was the first person to speak, and it just struck me immediately. I sound well, I silly. Take it there. Okay. I'll try to build you up here. We got some reviews. Okay. It's been a little while. I'll read a couple of reviews that have come in. This one is titled, Good Gospel Grumps. <laughs> Grumps, plural. So it's not just okay. me. And it's not just you. And this comes from a fellow that we know, but we're still grateful for his review, where she gives us five stars. He says, I think the special guest episodes are good, but I always miss the Jared Ross duo every other week. Man, thanks so much, Adrian. We really appreciate that. Uh, Another five-star review. This comes from Melissa in North Carolina. Headline, great podcast, exclamation point. 
She says, do I listen to For the Church podcast because it is equally edifying and, and, and entertaining? Yes. Yes. <laughs> do I listen to the For the Church podcast because of Ross's accent? Also, yes. yes she says, there so there go. you go. Seriously, though, says that was a joke, so she's not really serious about your accent. <laughs> Seriously, though, I look forward to Wednesdays because a fresh podcast episode is dropped and I get to listen on my drive to the office. My husband and I serve on ministry staff at Hickory Grove Baptist Church. I got some great friends there. I love Hickory Grove Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this podcast always sparks conversation for the two of us in very edifying ways. As a final note, we bought both Advent books. She's <laughs> speaking of mine and Ronnie Martin's in our Advent Civil War dispute. She says, one for our morning devotions and one for the evening. Both are great. Thank you, guys. Keep it up. Thank you, Melissa for the stellar review. This is the kind of review I like. Yeah. Multiple paragraphs, yeah. just laying it on thick. This is what I want. And maybe it's because I'm vain, <laughs> but as they can compliment you too. That's fine. Can I make an apology though before you okay. go too far? Yeah. I'm going to apologize to Melissa okay. for that train wreck that was the episode on Christian movies. It's <laughs> not a train wreck. I'm, I'm sorry about it the It probably discipline. landed in the entertaining category uh, for no, her. No, I think she'd be disappointed <laughs> in that podcast. So Melissa, I think I'm going to do that podcast again with somebody who's <laughs> with got somebody some else. sense. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Someone who has some artistic sensibilities. I don't think Owen, uh, Adrian Owen would like that. No, well, maybe he wouldn't. <laughs> we'll see who, 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 who the guest is. Uh, hey, so today's topic has been brought up by not just the general <laughs> the general populace, but a couple of folks in our church, actually. Yeah. One has approached both of us. Another fellow approached me at a later time and said, have you thought about talking about this? And I thought, we should actually talk about this. And it'll be a little awkward. So we're talking essentially about how to be Christian in a secular workplace. Mm. Um, and just like we had two longtime married guys talking about singles, we have two former pastors, current seminary employed people talking about navigating the, the secular workplace. But I'm assuming we've both worked in secular workplaces before. Yes. Okay. And, and so, <laughs> so two things. One, yeah. you know I don't like the term former pastor. It makes, it but ma you're not a pastor. I know, but it makes it sound like something bad happened. Nothing bad okay, happened. Okay, nothing bad happened. Okay, we're, you just we're, couldn't cut it. That's I all. always say pastor without a church. Just, <laughs> just I'm kind of... No. Well, you've been through my ministry course. There's no such <laughs> There's thing. No such it's thing. the church that makes the pastor. Yeah, okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, yes, no, before I was actually in ministry, uh, I worked uh, in the financial service industry. Okay. I was uh, a recruiter for financial services individuals in insurance firms in London, Edinburgh, Glasgow. Um, so I actually spent several years in that before I went into ministry. Before that, I did college jobs. So you name it, I've done it. I would say working life, six years in secular work and then about 10 years in, in ministry. So it, it's been a while, but I don't think these issues have changed. No, you know, and we want to give some pastoral counsel yeah. to those in our churches who are in these in environments as well. What did you do in secular work before you so went into ministry? So I worked at my, for my college newspaper among some some types, man. The journalist okay. types are pretty extra. Did, did you have like a, a title or did, were you just- I was, your, so you're going to love this. Okay, here we go. I was the film critic. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wrote a few other articles, but that was, was my job. Okay. That was actually one of my first paid like writing jobs. It was my first job, but yeah, it was my first paid writing job. Was it just basically every film bar E.T. is not that great? <laughs> no, that's no. Okay. But all the Christian movies were terrible. Okay, no, sure. No, they didn't send we me to go see We need to get movies. rid of that topic. Like we're, we're just- <laughs> Yeah. And, and I've also served as a food pantry- you know, so it was a charity. It wasn't yeah. a Christian charity, but it was a charitable organization. Yeah. And the folks there were, except for one other church member who was there, it was some very 
progressive hmm. type folks. So both of those environments, I don't have extensive secular workplace yeah. experience. I haven't worked like in an office environment, that sort of thing per se, but both of the environments that I've been in have been pretty yeah. full stocked of like, if not hostile to Christianity, hmm. kind of edgy, progressive type folks, which is, yeah. I think, making inroads even into suburban workplaces. I think right? also within family settings as well. Um, you know, my wife was a nurse. My my brother works as a, a director in a, a steel firm. My my mom worked in university. Sure. So uh, I, I guess I'm the kind of outlier in terms of working into ministry. So although sometimes we have our own experience individually, we also yeah. have experiences of family members going through things. So it's kind of one of those things. I think we can talk into this situation from personal experience as yeah. well as pastorally, which is basically saying, if you disagree with what we're saying, we're saying, hey, we've got some foundational experience. No, that's that we good. Can call. And it tie, what you just said ties into something I want to bring up later. I don't want to start off there. But the issues that some folks have been bringing up, essentially, gosh, there was a day, given the context, we've got listeners not just around the country, but around the world. So we're, you know, we understand there's different contexts. Not all this is going to resonate with every single person in, the, in their circumstance. But there was a day where you could be a Christian in certain secular workplaces and it wasn't like people necessarily loved that, but it was accepted. It was tolerated. It was part of the, the wallpaper of life, increasingly so mm-hmm. over the last 10 years, I think even 20 years and probably more ramped up in the last few years. In, in the United States in particular, I think probably we're a little bit behind where you guys were in the UK. Yeah. You're probably a little further along than us in terms of having ramped up the I don't want to say intolerance, but maybe I do want to say intolerance. I think it is. It's harder. Yeah. Let's just say it's harder to be a Christian, especially to be a known Christian in a secular workplace. So, you know, one of the things that has been brought up is to say that the trans movement and sort of the LGBTQ LMNOP thing is making inroads into employee training and diversity training and all these sorts of things. Where it's no longer just a matter of can you tolerate being around coworkers that aren't like you, but you have to actually in some way embrace yeah. or endorse, maybe I should say is the yeah. right word, endorse some of these things. H- how do you navigate evangelistically? Mm. How do you navigate faithfulness in work environments where sometimes we're asked to do things, to espouse things, endorse things that actually contradict yeah. our, our Christian convictions. So you actually do want to start there? I, let's start there. Okay. I mean, I, what you said takes me someplace further down the road that I want yeah. to get to, but I want to start there because that's the primary question. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just start with a scenario. The, the fellow that I spoke to at our church said, we have a, an ice cream day. Yeah. There's a day of the week at my office where someone, you know, where they bring ice cream for the floor or whatever it mm-hmm. is. And it's sponsored by the LGBTQ yeah. community or the organization, yeah. whatever it is. He goes, is it, can I have ice cream? Yeah. Can I not have ice cream? Right. Yeah. That's sort of the question. Yeah. I think there's deeper questions to be asked too, but that's sort of the starting point. Yeah. And I've seen that's the environment we're in seen now. it with like lanyards being LGBTQ. Oh yeah. You got to wear this button or this pin. On your email ad- address and things like that. I, I think one of the things, first things I would say is do not knee jerk into a massive negative reaction. Because remember, um, as a Christian in a non-Christian workplace, your character speaks volumes. Yeah. So if your response to the world's progressive thought process that you're now having to be asked to embrace is to knee jerk and frustration and anger and and, and kind of boil against it is the exact wrong viewpoint I think you should have. 
I think what you what you want to be thinking about is how you can live a Christian character, how you can have conversations and, and promote the Christian faith while at the same time not looking like a bigot that says, I will refuse embracement. So the LGBTQ team organization sponsors ice cream. You're having ice cream. You get to connect with people. Here's the question I would have. Do you love as a Christian those that are LGBTQ? The answer should ultimately be yes, because we are called to love the lost as Christ loves the lost. Do we embrace and endorse all that they do? Absolutely not. Having ice cream in that, if you're loving them and you're engaging with them and you're treating them like human beings that are ultimately lost and need the gospel, then why would refusing ice cream actually help your yeah. faith in, in organization? Now, where it gets tricky is when you're asked to voice endorsement of those things. Right. Uh, I'm going to use my mother example. I realized recently she comes up quite a lot in this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to use my mother as an example. She's the silent third uh, co-host. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. the silent third host. Um, so she she worked with a university. Um, she worked at a fairly high level and administrative elements of that university. And she was asked to endorse and embrace a LGBTQ message at the bottom of her email signature. And she took some time to think about it. And her response was, well, I'm a Christian. Everybody knows that. Would you mind if I don't put that and instead I put a, a Bible verse in my email signature, uh, one that is loving, caring, non, kind of non-judgmental, but something that, that shows something that, that I live by. Interestingly, she was not asked to endorse LGBTQ because I think sometimes you just need to push back gently. Yeah. She gently pushed back. Okay, I get it. They, they have an organization or a movement that they want to ask others to embrace. So do I. And that would be the Christian faith. They can do what they want to do. Would you mind if I can do what I would like to do is put a Bible verse at the bottom of my email signature. And again, it's yeah. a gentleness. It's not a railing against, it's not a fighting against. It's a gentleness just to say, there is actually other views here. And if you as the company are going to support this view, kind of need to give a voice to the other view too. And I think that speaks volumes rather than just going, I will not do this and here is why. Yeah, and it, it's becoming increasingly difficult in the West. Just think about the American context in particular. I, we have recourse. It's not an easy, simple recourse at all, and I'm not trying to suggest that it is, but we do have free exercise of religion. Mm. We have the right to that. And so even to push back, you could appeal to yeah. constitutional rights of this infringes on my religious beliefs. And, you know, I, I not necessarily want to publish anything that would be you know, construed as hateful to you, yeah. but I can't have a rainbow flag on my lapel. I yeah. can't have in my email signature that would infringe upon my religious beliefs. Obviously, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that would be an easy route, although in some cases, perhaps we don't even know. I, I mean, I actually spoke to somebody recently who said we were expected to have, and, and I, it was an email signature thing, and mm -hmm. I forget what it was, but I think it was an LGBTQ thing. Mm -hmm. And he just said, um, I just didn't, I just took it yeah. out of my email thing, and no one ever said anything no. about it. So I think in some cases, even the implementation of these things yeah. is coming top down and even direct yeah. level supervisors and managers really aren't policing that. Yeah. But at the same time, if it is like, no, you really have to wear this thing or you have to have this thing or endorse this thing, we do have recourse to sort of speak against it. What happens when you get down the line, mm. and this is what I think everyone's trying to avoid is, how do I be a Christian and keep my job? Yeah. And this is, an this is the hard, hard thing to say, but it's a biblical thing to say yep. is sometimes 
you can't be a Christian and keep your job. Yeah, you might lose your job. And it was interesting, as soon as you brought this subject up, I thought of John 15 mm-hmm. and the fact that the world will hate Christians. I'm saying just generally That's the right. world, they will hate them. Not you because of your personality, but because of who you stand for. If you're not willing to be the Christian that is hated because you love Jesus, then you're not really willing to be a Christian. And in the workplace, and um, certainly my experience, I, I worked with a, a FTSE 500. It was a, a listed financial services company in London, 500 staff. I was the only Christian. I, I was often ridiculed. I was often pushed into, oh, I'm the goody two shoes over here. The reality is it's not that I have to accept it, but to some extent it's my privilege to accept it mm. because I know Jesus and I have his approval and that's all I need. And that doesn't make it easier. I walked into that office every day, seven in the morning, not an enjoyable place to work, but I knew that I had something greater. And actually, it, I think when push came to shove, uh, I, I felt like I actually needed to leave that industry because I didn't feel like I could, in good conscience, um, continue to be in that environment. I, I think it's interesting we've jumped into the big topic, but I think there's a lot of smaller underlying topics. I don't know if, if if you had some of these thoughts, but there's some underlying topics that I think feed into these big topics. Okay. And that is just how you view yourself as a Christian in a non-Christian workplace. And I think some of you that are in this situation have m- many emotions involved in this. And I think one of them is the pressure to be the gospel witness. Like you're the guy, you're the woman, you you are the Christian. Yeah. You've got to share the gospel. Everyone needs to know. Everybody should have a conversation with you. You need to bring them to church. There's this pressure. And I think often the church gives this pressure. You know, you've got to always be on. You're so standing in the gap. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that what that pressure does is that we have to respond to all of these situations. When actually the LGBTQ thing could simply be, look, you all know I'm a Christian. I've been pretty clear on these things. Enjoy your ice cream. Do you know, it's the, <laughs> sure. it's the kind of, we don't actually have to respond to everything. You don't always have to be on. It yeah. was recently, um, actually someone we, we both know said they changed their jobs and they said that the colleagues didn't yet quite know the extent of their Christian faith and they were it was slowly beginning to come out. And again, he didn't feel the need to just jump in and go, I'm a Christian, I go to church every Sunday, you need to know this. It was slowly but surely they just began to see who he is. And I think I, I want to encourage people in in the kind of non-Christian workplace, you don't have to be the answer to all of societal issues in your company that you're working with. You can be quiet. You can be gentle. You can just work through these things and be the example of there is a different way of responding to these sorts of things. And one thing I would say is certainly in the LGBTQ and other issues, what's the one common thread when those issues are disagreed upon? Fighting, usually. Arguments. Lawsuits. Imagine if we're the Christians just said, you know what I believe, can't do that. If it costs me my job, then it costs me my job. Imagine that response, you Mm. know. So anyway, I I just wanted to kind of touch that base. Before you get to the big issues, I think sometimes we provide this pressure. I also think, though, in in taking a step forward and kind of being visible, not confrontational or, or ugly about it, but being visible about your convictions, sometimes it empowers others. You actually discover mm-hmm. you're not so alone. Exactly, yeah. There's other folks kind of waiting, like, is anyone going to put their yeah. hand up about this? Or is are we all just sort of going to embrace this? Or even this? just and non-Christians who agree exactly, with Exactly, yeah. They feel the same way. I don't want this imposed upon me. And you sort of 
galvanize some support. I think we're kind of nearing a turning point there. I don't know how far away we are, but I think we're nearing a point of kind of exhaustion with this sort of ideological policing of everything. Uh, I really feel like we're getting to that place. Uh, In some ways, it reminds me of the old, I don't know if you've seen it, but the Seinfeld episode where Kramer does the AIDS walk and they, he doesn't want to wear the ribbon. So they, they, it's like, if you're in the AIDS walk, you got to wear the ribbon. He's like, I don't, I don't want to wear the ribbon. He's like, but you have to wear the ribbon. He goes, that's why I don't want to wear the ribbon. And it, he's, he's walking to raise money to fight AIDS, but he doesn't want to wear the, you know, ribbon. And even though he's walking, the people like, they accost him and, and like, you know, threaten him and everything. And there's just something about this, like, you got to embrace the ideology yeah. the whole way. And I think we're, we're reaching sort of a, a fatigue point about that. Not to mention just, I think, the moral chaos of particularly the transgender ideology, but really the whole kind of sexual mess. I think that has a shelf life. Yeah. I think there's going to be a collapse coming. I don't, I don't, I'm not, you know, prognosticating when or anything, but I feel like there's a collapse coming there as well. Um, But in the meantime, are there folks who are kind of, uh, is anyone Mm -hmm. else going to say anything? And so maybe there is a case for kind of standing up again, not being, Ugly, unchristlike, I guess yeah. I should say, not being unchristlike, because almost anything you say, no matter how mild, could be perceived as ugly or hate yeah. speech and that sort of thing. We've seen that happen. But is there someone else kind of waiting and there's a support actually that can And it occur? doesn't necessarily need to be a hot topic issue. It, one of the things is is knowing your boundaries. So knowing what you don't think is right or you don't feel comfortable with. And and so when I worked in London, um, we worked till 6.30 at night and there was two boundaries that I had set. There's one, I wouldn't do late nights. Uh, Miriam was pregnant at the time and I'd, I was already out of the house 12 hours a day. So I was keen to get get home. Um, so I wouldn't work late nights, which in a London office is mm. unusual uh, because you're pursuing your career. And on Fridays, we would finish at six and everyone would go to the pub and they would usually be there till nine. And that was just kind of common practice. But those broke to my boundaries, which was being home with my wife and also just not being keen to being in the pub scene on a Friday Um it it didn't work well for my dad and I don't think it would work well for me. <laughs> and I think I used to get pressure to stay at work late. I used to have the phrase, do you know there's a long line of people waiting for your job? Yeah. And I used to have the phrase of, you know why no one in this team likes you? Because you don't come to the pub on Friday. And the truth is, it was entirely a lie. Mm-hmm. I was able to achieve all I needed to do at work during normal hours. I worked hard. And on Friday, guess what? There were several other married guys that just wanted to go home and see their kids. And so that's what we did. We became that. Now, they were non-Christians. But the reality is, you just needed one person to gently say, I'm not going to do that. And, and my argument in that scenario was, um, I don't think this is going to cost my job because I work hard for 12 hours and you know it. And I bring in everything you ask me to do and more. So I want to also just mention that if you're a Christian in a non-Christian workplace, be the best worker you can be. I'm not asking for perfection. I'm saying put in all your effort you can because if you do end up losing your job because of something you stood on, it better not be about laziness in the workplace. You know, your Christian character is not something that allows you to be fired for laziness, for turning up late, for not doing the job. Okay, so now we're getting, so this is kind of ties into where I wanted to get to. I didn't want to get there quite yet, but let's just go ahead and talk about it. So, (laughs) I'll mention my dad, who worked in a secular environment, vast majority of his work life. He's 73. He'll be 73 next month. He retired from Lifeway, managing Lifeway stores. That's just the last sort of 10 years of his life. But mm. the previous, uh, he worked as a school teacher, public school teacher, and then worked in retail for a variety of retail establishments. One of my dad's reputations is people loved working for him. Yeah. He, he was a you know store manager, different department stores and things yeah. like that. 
people loved working for my dad. And I, I just think back, okay, what was it about my dad that people would love work? Well, he's a funny guy. Yeah. You, know, he's, you know, he's humorous. But he also has an incredible work ethic, worked mm. very hard. But he was also, he also looked out for his workers. He yeah. was very kind. He looked out for folks. He was a family man. He uh, was a good listener. Mm. He cared about people. And just thinking about what kind of Christian impact yeah. you would have as an employee yeah. simply by trying to exhibit Christ-like character. Yeah. Now, that's not going to always be smooth sailings for anybody, yeah. especially today. You know, my dad largely worked in these environments before a lot of the ideological yeah. police sort of took over. But increasingly so, when people love being around you, yeah. they love working for you, they, don't, they know you beyond just, I've got these Christian convictions that yeah. I cannot compromise. That's great. But if they know you for more than that, they yeah. know you as a brotherly person or a sisterly person, as a fatherly person or a motherly person. Mm. They know you as kind. They know you're a good listener. They know that you care. Mm. They, you know that, they know you're a good neighbor. Yeah. The impact of, hey, these are my convictions I can't compromise on, that becomes lessened. They consider it more. Yeah. Not everybody, but by and large, they're more, for lack of a better word, tolerant yeah. that you have views that they don't have. Yeah. If they know you to be someone who is like that. Yeah. I mean, my mother-in-law is a paramedic. She's just about to retire. She retires next week, actually. And they were doing a retirement do and, you know, the whole station was going to go out. And they said, oh, by the way, we've done afternoon tea because we know you wouldn't be interested in the pub. And again, it was the gentleness of she hasn't been massively outspoken. She's a paramedic. She's literally saving people's lives. That's what she does. Yeah. But they knew her as a gentle, loving Christian. And so how did they respond when she retires? They're taking her out for afternoon tea. No alcohol involved, <laughs> no kind of partying night involved because they knew that's not what's something that she would be interested in. And I think this is kind of what I was saying earlier on. If if your response to things is just anger and frustration, if, you, if you're known at work for complaining about things in the world or if you're known at work for turning up late, you know, if you're known at work for ignoring people, then they're not going to be tolerant for your views Interesting, you mentioned your dad. My dad used to say, you should be first in, last out. You should be known as the one that works hard and never ignore the cleaners. Never ignore the people oh, that are just not part of your normal right. daily job because they're making your environment nice to work in. So basically treat everyone to respect and be the hardest worker. Now that's hard to fire somebody on a Christian <laughs> concept when yeah. they are your best worker. When they're your best worker. When everybody loves them, apart from this issue leniency begins. Now, they might not show leniency, but that's not why you're doing it. You might still lose the job. But I agree. I think Christian character, I actually wrote this down in my notes that Christian character is the key to working in a non-Christian environment. Mm. Your character speaks volumes into that situation. And, and the reality is you're going to feel lots of emotions. You're going to be lonely in the workplace. You're going to have temptation to do things you don't want to do. You're going to be treated differently. You're going to feel those pressure points. You're going to have some guilt maybe for pursuing a non-Christian career. I, I do know people that feel guilt over the fact that yeah, they've too. become directors, managing directors. You know, they've got a good career. But be known for your Christian character. Just a note on that career thing. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a, uh, there's two types of people. Uh, there's the people that pay for the work that God does. And then there's the people that kind of get on with that and don't get paid to do it. Um, <laughs> we need just you know, making it clear, we need people to earn good money to put that money in God's ministry yeah. so that we can send missionaries out, so we can pay pastors, so we can train the next generation of leaders. Don't view your good career as a guilt trip. 
view it as a phenomenal opportunity to finance the Lord's work. That's good. So let's give some guidelines, mm. if possible, or some advice. Someone's asking, all right, how do I know what to do, when to do it? And yeah. How, how to, you know, how to do it, why to do it, that sort of thing. What are some tips? The one thing I would say is if it actually does ask you if whatever the initiative, the request, the principle, the policy, if it's asking you to endorse, yeah. you're actually lending your voice, even if it's a passive voice, I've yeah. got to have this on my lip on my badge or I've got a, you know, something like that. You know, obviously your conscience is important there, but if it's asking you to endorse a message that is contrary to biblical convictions, yeah. you're within your Christian rights to say, I no. cannot do that. Yes. Uh, this is too far. You're not just asking me to be a good neighbor. You're asking me to, uh, to voice or yeah. endorse things that are contrary to, yeah. you know, to the scriptures. And, and, and I simply can't do that. That's the different than hospitality, yeah. friendliness, sharing a meal, ice cream, whatever it is. There's a sponsored booth or something they're yeah. providing, cupcakes or that sort of thing. That's just simply being a good citizen, yeah. being a good neighbor. Now, if it violates your conscience, don't go against your conscience in some way. I don't think you need to be very vocal or out, outlandish about that. But I don't think there's anything wrong, yeah. per se, in having the ice cream from yeah. the LGBT group. Well, take yeah. it out of that concept. Take it into a neighborhood. So you, you were given this example of an LGBTQ kind of ice cream funded thing. Well, what happens if you, your next door neighbor where you live is an LGBTQ couple and they come knocking on the door and said, hey, we made some cookies. We would like to become yeah. friends with you. Would, would you have these? Are you going to turn down those cookies? Yeah, but wouldn't you say it's a different, I'm just trying to play the advocate of the other side, which is to say that's different than like, hey, we're here to promote our deal or we're here to represent our deal in your workplace. You know, and we're providing this ice cream on behalf of the LG. When it's your neighbors, they're providing cookies not on behalf of the LGBTQ community or True. organization, but True. just on behalf of ourselves as neighbors. But your reaction shouldn't be one of anger and frustration. Oh, your, sure. Your reaction is going to be more gentleness. And again, but the question is, can I have the ice cream? Yes. And I think yes. Yes. Unless your conscience is really pro problematic about it, I think it's fine yeah. to have the ice cream. And I think that's a, one of my pieces of advice is know your personal boundaries. Yeah. If it's going to cross a boundary that you have personally set, then don't do it. I think in terms of endorsement, I think this is tricky when we take it to the nth degree. So I always say to people, take the situation, take it right to the nth degree. When you go to Walmart and you shop at Walmart, do you buy things only from companies that don't endorse these types of things? When yeah. you go to companies in the UK, there was a big LGBTQ movement where the supermarket started to endorse it. And Christians started saying, I'm not going to shop there. I'm going to shop here. But then they would shop at companies that just weren't vocal about it, but they still supported it. It's kind of a, when you take this to the nth degree, at what point do you say, I will touch nothing that has any connection to that? You're going to have a very limited life in that sense. Now, maybe that's what your conscience says, but take it to the nth degree. Why would you be comfortable with this, but not that? Um, so for me, it's know your boundaries, stay within them and politely and gently stay within them. So if you're asked to do something or something comes up, you can go to your boss and say, I know you won't see me at this event. I don't believe that I can support that. I'm sorry if that offends you, but from my good conscience, I don't think I can go to that. I won't speak ill of it. I'm not, I'm not railing against anyone, but I would prefer not to be involved. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a difference between like learning how to draw the, the line between toleration and endorsement. Yeah. 
is to say I, I can I'm, I'm acknowledging by the fact that I work at a in, in a secular environment that there are going to be unbelievers here of mm-hmm. all different kinds mm-hmm. and you know we keep talking about the LGBTQ thing but there are you know other unbelievers yeah. other kinds of unbelievers yeah. right and just working alongside them and tolerating them in a sense and even beyond tolerating them treating them with kindness and love and that sort of thing that's just being a Christian in the world yeah right. That's different than actually endorsing things that you yeah. don't believe or or having to sort of espouse views that that are contrary yeah. to uh, to God's law and God's holiness. But you know, having the right kind of to- I know I mean even tolerance has become a bad word in some respects, but in the right sense, understanding that toleration is okay mm-hmm. in, in the secular work environment, endorsement is not, and learning yeah. what the line is between toleration and, and endorsement. There has been many a case of a Christian that refused to endorse and their business or their workplace has sued them. That's right. And they stood their ground. And some lost business, some lost their jobs, some kept business and kept their jobs. And again, I think that's something we have to be aware of as the church when we advise people that work in secular work. Are you prepared to lose your job when it crosses that boundary? The thing I'd say too, Ross, is because on on one level, it's easy for guys like us to say that as people employed by Christian institutions, and it's sometimes easy, quote-unquote, for pastors to say that or for churches to hold that view. For individuals, this is what you should do. I want to encourage churches to, especially in the years ahead, to be gearing up for whatever the fallout is of of, your members standing up for their convictions, whether it means beefing up your benevolence funds because you're going to have people out of work that you need to support. If you're going to call people to a cost, you have to bear it with them. Absolutely, You have to be able to pay that price with them. Don't just say, hey, if you're a faithful Christian, you'll risk your job. Well, that's all easy to say if you're not willing to help them if they do lose that job or if they do have to forfeit that job or they're on unemployment for a while. You know, you, you have to be able yeah. to come alongside them and provide, you know, the means for them to yeah. do that. I put it in my notes, church, you need to step up. Um, yeah. And that sense of if, if an, an employee of our workplace says, no, I'm not endorsing this, they suspend them without pay. Hey, church, are you ready to not just say, good on you, <laughs> right. but actually sign the check for their salary for that time? And if I'm honest, I think churches are not ready for no. that. And we tell them to fight this way, but we don't prepare for them. The other thing I've put in my notes is just, Provide an environment where people don't feel judged in this situation. I, I talk to a lot of um, Christians working in a non-Christian workplace, and they often feel judged by the Christians mm. in church along the lines of, you should have not done that. And like we've been talking about these scenarios, should we or should we not do it? And yes, in our conviction, we're saying yes or no. We're not the ones in that environment. And so we do have to give grace in these situations. Sometimes you are going to get it wrong and you're going to cross that boundary and you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get it wrong. And all I can say is, man, it is hard. It is hard to work in that environment. It is lonely to work in that environment. And the temptation to slip a little bit in terms of what we hold dear is strong. And I remember when I worked in the financial services in Edinburgh specifically, it was so lonely that sometimes I just thought, I don't want to be the Christian warrior in this environment. But then you go to church and they say, you have to be the Christian warrior. And you're like, really? Do I stop judging me type thing? So I, I agree with you. I think churches need to massively step up their encouragement and care, which also means understanding. And, and here's just a simple thing you can do. I know a pastor that goes and visits the workplace of his members that work in non-Christian workplaces. He's not weird. He doesn't come yeah, yeah. and try and give tracks out to all his colleagues. He just says, hey, 
drop by the office, we'll go for a coffee. Drops by the office, he said, by the way, I'm just going out for coffee. This is my pastor, by the way, just, just to introduce you. Hey, nice to meet you. Then they move on. Just slowly bring that church world into the non-Christian place. Don't be weird. Don't be awkward. But this is a way we can help. And I, I, even as I'm talking now, I'm thinking of a, an individual in our own church that works in an unsaved workplace. And, and I'm just even thinking now, maybe I need to go and have a coffee with them and just <laughs> have that yeah. positive that their world is not their own, that we're part of that with them. We're spurring them on. We're right behind them. Um, and we're literally willing to come to your office to to help that if we can. That's good. Yeah, I just talked about this subject actually, recent episode with Justin Buzzard, mainly it was about mission in Silicon Valley, but he and I share affinity yeah. for workplace visits, yeah. uh, pastoral visits to workplaces. Now he's in Silicon Valley, so he's got great places to go. Yeah, I don't yeah. go see my, my, you know, my, my, uh, people like Google and yeah. Facebook and wherever else. I was making scrap metal runs and everything <laughs> at my last trip, but, yeah. but it was great. So if you're interested in that subject, you go listen to that episode. Yeah. It's pretty recent um, as well. Uh, I don't know that we talked this this thing out of material, but yeah. I think we've you know given some some good groundwork, maybe some good. Yeah, I just want to say that you're you're not on your own. Yeah, do you know? I, I really want to encourage. Well, you walk those. in crisis with you. Yeah, yeah. That's not where I was going. Okay, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where I would go. Okay, you walk in crisis with you yeah. wherever you're going. Absolutely. You go. yeah. And Christ was in an unsaved world, yeah. willing to die for the unsaved world. That's right. You know, man, talk about pressure. Talk about the environment. Mm. You know. No, I was going to say we're all with you in that sense. That's, and I, okay. that's a bit cheesy and corny, and then you're well, slammed. Christ is well, with you. That's the guy who likes Christian movies. What do you expect? <laughs> cheesy and corny. Are we done now? Um, <laughs> Let's be done. If you enjoy the podcast, your listener, give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We could read it on the air. Maybe that's why people aren't leaving reviews. They're afraid that we'll read them on the air. You should still do it anyway. Just write anonymous. You could do anonymous. Yeah, leave us a good review or a bad review. We'll read those too as long as it's not you know, gross or anything. We'll be glad to have it. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.